Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Uh, Jellystone National Park was the first national park ever established in the United States and was established by Ulysses S. Grant uh, back in 1872. And it is really, it is one of the most uh, visited national parks in America. Of course, the, the most, anybody know what the most visited national park is? What, huh? No. No. Shenandoah National Park, right in our backyard, because people hike the Appalachian Trail because people are stupid. Uh, but anyway, uh, Yellowstone, I almost called it Jellystone, Yellowstone is number three on that list, but it's one of the most, uh, most visited national parks in the uh, United States, and really because of its incredible beauty. Uh, it's filled with all kinds of animals, you know, uh, bison, uh, grizzly bears, wolves, elk, and eagles, and just, it's a magnificent landscape. But it's most famous for its geysers. Uh, of course, it sits on top of the largest supervolcano in the world. And one day when that supervolcano erupts, we won't be here anymore. But until that day, it does some cool stuff. Uh, it's got a lot of geothermal activity underneath the surface, and it causes a lot of geysers. Uh, of course, the most famous geyser is Old Faithful. Old Faithful uh, shoots water. Go back, Connor. That's not Old Faithful. Old Faithful shoots water uh, 120 feet, I'm sorry, 180 feet in the air about 20 times a day. Uh, but it's not the only geyser. Uh, there's a lot of famous geysers, a lot of famous pools in the park. Now this one, Connor. This is Grand Parismic Geyser. Uh, you can see it better back there more clearly, but it's, it's, uh, it's the largest hot spring in the United States, and it's known for its unique colors. Because as you can see, uh, it's, there's not lava on the outside. It looks like it's you know lava on the outskirts. It's not lava. Uh, it's just mineral deposition causes the water to change that, that unique color. Uh, there are muddy geysers that the, uh, all over the park that they call mud pots. Uh, they all come in different colors. There's orange ones, there's red ones, there's purple ones because of the mineral deposits uh, in the soil. Uh, they are incredible. They are beautiful, but they're very deadly. If you fall into one or if you climb into one, because people have been known to climb over the safety railings to get into the mud pots because they think it's some kind of spa treatment. Uh, and if you fall in one or if you climb into one, they're never going to recover your body because it's going to dissolve in about 20 minutes. Hot and that acidic. Um, and so it's, it's a very dangerous spot, but it's, it's very beautiful. So you're like, what do geysers have to do with the message this morning? What do geysers have to do with the Bible? Well, not a thing. I just think I like geysers. No. Geysers are like joy. Uh, you really don't know what's going on under the surface until it erupts. And joy can be like that in our lives. We all have been, if you're saved this morning, no matter what you're going through, you have joy. Now, it may be under the surface. It may be covered up with a lot of pain, with a lot of difficult situations, but it's there. And it will come bursting forth from time to time. Uh, it can bubble, 
it can overflow, but whatever you're going through, joy will always find a way out. Uh, no matter what you're facing, joy is deep inside of you. So this morning, of course, if you hadn't guessed, we're looking at joy for the third Sunday of Advent. Of course, Advent means coming or arrival. And during this time, back at the birth of Jesus, at His first coming, and we thank God that He, he sent His Son flesh to become man and live among us, to live a perfect, sinless life, to die in our place, absorb the wrath of God for us, be buried and three days later rise again. We thank God that He came the first time as a baby, as a servant, as a sacrifice. But we look forward to the fact that He's coming again one day. And He's coming as a, a king. He's coming as a conqueror to make all things new. And so during Advent, we look at the characteristics that Advent gives us, the love, the joy, the hope, the peace of the season. And it really, we're trying to refocus our hearts and our minds on the true meaning of Christmas. It's not just presents and Christmas trees and elves and all those things we, we, fall, we get involved in, but it's about the the peace and the joy and the hope and the love that God brings us. Now, the Christmas story is filled with instances of joy, especially early on in the story. Now, joy, and we, I've said this many times, joy is not separated from your grief and your pain and your disappointment. In fact, the joy that we have as believers is usually born out of disappointment out of grief. And we're going to look at some stories this morning that really highlight that, specifically the stories of Elizabeth and Mary, and see how they found joy even in times of pain. Now the Christmas story in Luke begins before Mary and Joseph and their visit from the angel or their visit to Bethlehem. It begins with a prophet named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. So start reading Luke chapter 1, we're going to reading verse number 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abbei. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both now well stricken in years. Now this sort of passage... It, it speaks volumes, especially to the original readers of the book of Luke. Of course, you have Herod, the Roman king, who's in charge and controlling Jerusalem. And of course, it's an oppressive uh, regime. They're taxing the Jewish people uh, excessively. They're, they're persecuting them. They're enslaving them. It is not a good time to be a Jew in Jerusalem at this time because of Roman control. They're going through difficult times. Then we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're both of a priestly lineage. Now, of course, Elizabeth cannot be a priest because she's a woman. Uh, and that's just that was their law. I'm not saying anything bad about women. I love women. They're equal to men, sometimes better than men in most areas, except, find, except fixing things. They can find stuff in the fridge like nobody's business. Uh, but, you know, they can find what I'm missing. But anyway, uh, so women, she was of a priestly lineage, but she couldn't be a priest. But it's incredible what God says about these two people. Uh, now, during this time, the religious community was very corrupt. 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, were controlling everything, and they were, they were greedy. They hurt the Jewish people for their own gain, for their own profit, for their own advancement. They were also oppressing the Jews, and so most people didn't have a good view of the religious elite, but Zechariah and Elizabeth were different. They are described as righteous and blameless. Now, I would love for that to be written in the Bible about me. Here's Sean Minnix, he was righteous and blameless. It will not be. I can guarantee you that. Uh, but they are called righteous and blameless. And that's important because right after God says that they are righteous and blameless before the, God, before the Lord, that they obey all His commandments, says in verse 7, they were barren. Now, in this culture, barrenness was a sign of judgment from God. People looked at you being unable to have children as you had some sin in your life and God was judging you because of it. And so we hear that they're righteous, we hear that they're blameless, but then they're, they're barren. Um, but suddenly, that changes. One day they get a visit from Gabriel. Gabriel tells them that they're going to have a son. Not only a child, son, which was, again, more... You wanted a son, you wanted a daughter in this culture because sons took care of pawing off on some other guy. Uh, so they wanted sons instead of... A, and obviously they've never had daughters uh, because daughters are, are great, aren't they? Aren't they, honey? Aren't daughters great, lady? And she's... They're terrible. Uh, but anyway, uh, so they're going to have a son, but it's not just any son. He's going to be a great prophet of God. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, Zechariah doesn't believe it. He's overwhelmed and he, he doesn't believe it and he asks for a sign that God is going to keep His word. And so God gives him a sign by struggling with muteness for nine months. So for nine months, Zechariah can't speak. He's got to you know, use sign language. He's got to write stuff down uh, to explain to everyone what's happening. Now, Elizabeth was quicker to believe the news. She gets a visit from Gabriel, and she immediately believes it. She thanks God for what he's going to do. Look what she says about the miracle in verse number 25 of chapter 1. <clears throat> the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked my reproach among men. So Elizabeth knew how people viewed her as a married woman with no children. That she was, they, people viewed her negatively. They looked down on her. They talked down on her. And she says, God, you have, you have, have removed my reproach. You have blessed me incredibly. Now, for some reason, and we don't know why, for some reason... Elizabeth goes into hiding for the next five months. Uh, we don't really know why she does this. It could have been because uh, of the disgrace she experienced before with barrenness that she wanted to make sure. Because again, going through this uh, barrenness, I'm sure, we don't know, but we don't know. Maybe they got pregnant before and just never were never able to carry the child to term. Maybe they had miscarriages many times. And so obviously she's, she's worried, she's scared. She goes into hiding for five months. Um, infertility was a, a huge source of pain and sorrow then as it is now. 
uh, but it was a terrible problem to have. In- there was a young married couple, Elizabeth and Zachariah. I'm sure they were, they were hopeful that they were going to start a family very, very quickly. Uh, most people didn't wait to, have, to start a family in this day. They got married and had kids typically nine months earlier uh, or later than that. And so they were hopeful for kids, but as years went by, uh, no, having no children, I'm sure their, their hope began to fade. Uh, maybe they were never able to conceive. Maybe they dealt with miscarriages for years. We don't know. But whatever the situation, Elizabeth dealt with incredible pain and incredible shame in her life because of her barrenness. I'm sure she would have wondered if it was, was her fault. Maybe there was something in her life that was keeping God from blessing her. I'm sure other people blamed her for it. Her self-worth was completely tied to her ability to have children. She didn't have any. Eventually, she's branded as barren, having no hope of having any kids. So maybe she hid herself for the first five months of the pregnancy because she was over, she was worried, she was dealing with the shame she had. Maybe she did it out of fear of losing a baby. Maybe she just wanted to keep the joy of this pregnancy to herself for a while. You know, these people spent years mocking me, ridiculing me, looking down on me. They don't have the right to be happy for me right now. So we don't know why she did it, but she hid away five months. But when she was six months pregnant, far in Galilee, her cousin Mary gets a similar visit. Gabriel visits her. And he tells her, like he did Elizabeth, that she's going to have a miracle child. Now Mary's not barren. Uh, we know she's not barren because she had other kids after Jesus. We don't know she's not barren at this point because she's a virgin. She's never known a man. She's, she's not married. She's engaged, but she's not married. She's never been with a man, so we have no idea. She's having another miracle baby. She's going to give birth to a child without being known a man. Uh, she's going to give birth as a virgin. Now, this also, in this culture, comes with a lot of challenges. People know she's not married. People know that her and Joseph have not tied the knot yet. And so this would be premarital sex, which was against the law, the Jewish law. It was a, she could be stoned because of it. But not only that, but Joseph, he knows it's not his kid either. And so she's got a lot of challenges ahead of her. Her family is going to reject her. Uh, she's going to face shame, disgrace, rejection because she's pregnant as an unwed woman. Her family rejects her. Her fiancé has the right legally to have her killed for cheating on him or he could put her away. He's got to put her away. He's a believer. And can you blame him? I mean, I've seen recently this, uh, this uh, reel on Instagram where this guy bakes a pie. He's like, hey, honey, I made you a pie. And she's like, we don't, we don't have an oven. Oh, yeah, I made it. It's a fresh-made pie. I made it just for God made it. It's like, well, honey, that don't make sense. You see, it don't make no sense for God to make a pie without an oven. How can you have a baby without having sex? And so Joseph didn't believe her right off the bat. Gabriel had to come to him and say, hey, Gabriel, he says it's true. But even despite Joseph finally being on board, they still have this stigma of this unwed couple having sex before marriage and getting pregnant. How can she make people believe that the baby carrying that she is carrying is is not from some illicit act 
But it's the Messiah that God promised would sin. You know, every Jew knew the prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 7.4 says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Telling everyone that you're the virgin of Isaiah is going to be hard for people to believe. They're just going to think that you just you are a sinner. No one believed her. We know this because, again, Joseph needed Gabriel to tell him it was true so he wouldn't send her away. Now look at verse number 39 in chapter 1. <clears throat> and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to, to a city of Judah. Now, we, we do know why Mary fled. For fear. Because even if Joseph didn't have her punished, her father could. Any other man in the community could have. They could have drug her before the high priest and she could have been stoned to death for her illicit activity. So she fled uh, to see Elizabeth. She goes to see Elizabeth, who she just learned was pregnant as well. And she figures, if anyone's going to believe me, it's Elizabeth. Because God came to me and told me that He already told her that she's having a miracle baby. So if anyone's going to believe that an angel came to see me to tell me I'm giving birth to Messiah, it's going to be Elizabeth. Put yourself in the shoes of these women. One of them is finally giving birth to the child she has longed for her entire married life. The other child, the other is getting a child that she wasn't ready for. It wasn't even her fiancé's. She's not, she didn't ask for this. But God chose her. Regardless of the circumstances, both of them are in a difficult situation, but both of them have joy. Elizabeth, because of God finally answering her prayers, and Mary, because God is choosing to fulfill His promise to bring, back the, to bring forth the Messiah. Then look at verse number 41 in chapter number 1. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutations of Mary, the babe leaped at her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of that salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told of her from the Lord. So this is where their joy erupts like a geyser. I'm sure Mary was relieved. She just walks out and says, Hey, Elizabeth. And immediately Elizabeth's like, I know exactly what's going on. You're pregnant. She's not even showing, Mary's not even showing yet. I mean, she just got pregnant. She's not showing. And she went to a faraway land so that news of her illicit sin wouldn't have reached that area by now. And so she doesn't, no one there knows she's pregnant, but Mary talks to Elizabeth. Elizabeth just explains she knows what's going on. And so she didn't have to, Mary didn't have to explain her situation, didn't have to worry about being judged, didn't have to worry about being misunderstood, didn't have to worry about being believed. All she had to do was say hello, and Elizabeth knew what was happening. Even Elizabeth's unborn baby knew what was happening, because he leaps in her womb with joy when he hears the voice 
of Mary. That was all the encouragement. That was the, all the affirmation Mary needed for her joy to come bursting forth. Mary, she sings a song of joy and praise to God uh, for what she's going through. Look at verse number 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them uh, that fear him from generation to generation. He, shall, uh, he has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent, a, sent empty. He hath holden a hope in his servant Israel he, in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers and Abraham, to Abraham and to the seed for so Mary sings this beautiful, beautiful song. It's an incredible passage. It's a celebration of God and His love and His mercy and His miracles in both these women's lives. It connects these two miraculous events. It connects what God is doing in Mary's life to what God is doing in Elizabeth's life. But it, it also shows these two expectant mothers. It shows how they are sharing their understanding of joy in the middle of pain. This story shows us a lot about joy that we need during the Advent season. But I want to look at three this morning. First thing I want to look at is, number one, it's okay to be joyful and happy. Now, some of you are looking at that and going, duh. Who says it's, uh, who's not, who says it's bad to be happy? Some of you are looking at that and thinking, I don't know if that's true, Pastor. Depends on your spiritual history. Um, I've told a lot of you, I've told you a lot of times, joy and happiness are similar, but they're disconnected. Happiness is on your circumstances. Happiness comes and goes. You have a, a good day at work, you go to work and you get a raise, or you go in and your boss says, hey, you know, here at the end of the year, take the rest of the year off with pay everything for you, and you get every green on the way home, which is a miracle, and no one goes uh, the speed, and look, I'm convinced, and maybe if you're one of these people, I apologize if I misjudged you, but if you go exactly the speed limit, or just a little under for your arrest, and you're just trying not to get pulled over and go to jail, so if you're like, well, I'll do that, not for my arrest, well then, you need to get right with Jesus. Uh, and drive faster than speed. It's, it's a suggestion. But, uh, you know, you're going to work. No one, no one is going 30, in a 30 And so you can get to work fast, or you can get home fast. Uh, everything's working. You know, you have a great day, and you're happy, and everything's great. And then the next day you wake up, and you're sick. Or you go to work, and you get fired. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Joy is something that God gives us despite our circumstances. Joy goes deeper. Joy is based on your relationship with God. So you can have joy in difficult times. You can have joy in incredible pain. You can have joy no matter what you're facing. And so that makes us kind of joy as this wonderful spiritual attribute that Christians have. Happiness is a worldly secular emotion that we shouldn't be looking for. Happiness is fleeting. 
Happiness is for the world. Happiness is for the unsafe people who are going to spend eternity in hell. Joy is for the spiritual among us. Now, the Bible does not give us a difference between joy and happiness. There are two different Greek and Hebrew words, but they both mean essentially the same thing. Both of them are even translated as blessed throughout the Bible. Randy Elkhorn wrote a book called Happiness. Where he dives into this truth. And here's what, he, what he's basically getting at. As a Christian, we have joy. No matter what you're facing, you have joy. If you're in pain, you have joy. If you're in sickness, you have joy. As a Christian, it's be happy. God wants us happy. To enjoy. There's incredible joy and happiness available as God's children. So embrace joy. Embrace happiness. Celebrate. Long for it. Enjoy it because the world is going to try and steal it from you. The world is going to steal your joy. And the world's going to steal your happiness no matter what, especially during the Christmas season. Because we all have obligations we have to deal with. You've got to go to that office Christmas party you don't really want to go to. Right? You all got to visit those relatives. The only time you visit them is Christmas because you don't like them. But you feel bad you don't like my relatives. But that's okay. Look, you can't pick your family. You pick your friends. You, you pick people that you like. These people, but those people, you know, Cousin Bob and Uncle Eddie, I just got stuck with them. But I got to love them. Says who? Chapter verse. But we feel bad. I got to go see uh, Cousin Eddie. Some of y'all say Cousin Eddie. Y'all are thinking about Christmas vacation, aren't you? Where he's emptying the sewer out into your drainage. But anyway, uh, some of y'all think about it. That's I don't have a Cousin Eddie like that. That's why I'm so glad I was raised Jehovah's Witness, where I don't have all this family drama to deal with. If I don't like my family, I don't see my family. Woo! Peace! You got obligations you got to go to. You got people you have to see because it's Christmas and you got to see them, but you feel bad that you feel bad about not wanting to see them. Uh, and it's okay to stop and focus on things this Christmas season that make you, that bring you, give you and no matter what you're struggling with this year, or maybe you're not struggling with anything, God sees you. God loves you. We were created with a longing for happiness and joy. We were created in God's image, and God's nature is joy. God's nature is happiness. It's okay to be joyful. It's okay to be happy. Something I want to look at is number two, joy is where we find strength. Nehemiah the Old Testament prophet who was called by God to return to Israel after Babylonian captivity to rebuild the city. Uh, he, his job was to rebuild the walls, and so he was physically rebuilding the city, but really God and these other men of God back to Jerusalem, not just to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple and rebuild the homes, but to rebuild the city spiritually, to awaken the city spiritually. And it's seen in chapter number 8. In chapter 8, Nehemiah, the wall is getting done, but Nehemiah brings all the people together, they're building the temple. While they're rebuilding the temple, they're rebuilding the walls, they find the Bible. 
Hadn't been seen in 70 years. Hadn't been read in 70 years. And again, this time, that was the only copy. It's not like today where we all have... How many of you have a physical copy of your Bible with you today? Hold them up. Alright. How many of you who don't have your physical copy have a physical copy at home? Alright. How many of you have a copy on your phone? On your computer? On your phone? We have something. It's, it's, it's baffling to us to think there was a time where not everyone had access to it all the time. But they didn't. So for 70 years, the Bible hadn't been read. And so what does Nehemiah do when he finds the Bible? He gathers all the people together and reads it for 12 hours. For 12 hours. They read, and y'all give me dirty looks when it hits 12.01. Like, you better shut up. Next week, we're just reading the Bible for 12 hours. Buckle in. Uh, and so they read it for 12 hours. And again, and, they're, and look, they're reading the Old Testament. They're not reading, you know, the good stuff. They're not reading Revelation and James where it's talking about... They're reading, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Mark, I mean, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. They're getting to the chapters of Leviticus where it's nine chapters of begatting people, and they loved it. They were broken because they realized how much they rejected God. So the people start weeping, but they're not weeping out of remorse, they're weeping in tears of joy. They're weeping because they remember what God had done for them. And they remembered what God had promised them. But they're also weeping from the shame of rejecting God. And there's an incredible truth Nehemiah gives in the middle of the scene. In Nehemiah verse eight, chapter 8, verse 10, it says, Then he said unto them, <coughs> Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. Bible proof, God is for sweet tea and pork rinds. Amen? And bacon. Amen. So eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them prepared. For this day is holy unto, the, unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. While weeping over their sin, Nehemiah says, look, enjoy the life God has given you. Eat good food. Drink sweet tea. Take care of each other. Don't grieve over your sin because God has forgiven it and God's joy is your strength. Nehemiah is saying this isn't a time for remorse and shame. This is a time of happiness. God is bringing us back. God is restoring to a relationship with Him. The source of their strength to do what God had called them to do was the joy that God had given them. God's joy fuels us. God's joy sustains us. God's joy helps us continue for Him to build His kingdom for His glory. Our true source of happiness, our true source of joy, our true source of fulfillment comes from Christ and what He has done for us. Advent's a season of joy because it reminds us that the Messiah has come. He lived a we could never live. He died for us. He died in our place. He absorbed the wrath of God for my sins and for your sins. And He rose again to redeem us to God the Father. Our debt is paid. Our future is secure. We are adopted into the family of God. We are seen as righteous as Jesus. 
Christ because of His death, burial, and resurrection. And that is the source of our joy. Say, but you don't know what I'm going through. I don't care what I'm going through. I know what's waiting for us one day. I know whose child you are if you're saved this morning. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Whom having, having not seen, ye love, and whom though we now see Him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Uns- joy unspeakable and full of glory sounds unattainable today. But God says, your joy doesn't come from stuff. Your joy comes from Me. Unspeakable joy may sound hard to get, but its source is deeper than the pain and the sorrow we're dealing with. It's deeper than the problems that are you. It's deeper than the things that try to bring your joy and happiness. Now look, I'm not saying that God tells us, hey, don't worry, be happy. Fake it till you make it. Plan on a smile and, you know, everything will be fine. Sometimes joy comes forth like an eruption where you're dealing with stuff and it just bursts forth like in Mary and Elizabeth. Sometimes it kind of just bubbles up, like some of those mud pots that'll disintegrate you in 20 minutes. Uh, But it just bubbles slowly. But joy is always deeper than our pain. The joy that God has for you can be felt no matter what you're feeling today. Here's the last Number three, we can... And we should choose joy. Rejoice is used 192 times. It's not a word we use much today, is it? We don't use the word rejoice in regular conversation. We really enjoy that much. But we definitely rejoice. But rejoice is the verb form of the word Joy. Now, I'm telling you a little English and a little Greek because it's the same applies for both of them. Joy, rejoicing, is an action. It's a feeling. It's an expression of delight about what's going on in your life. Rejoice has a read, which means to return to. To return to joy. To do again. To joy again. Rejoice is a return to joy. But in the Hebrew and the Greek, joyce means to sing. Action. It's a choice we make to return to joy. More accurately, it's a choice we make to return to the source of our joy. Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can find true joy. That's the only way we can find true happiness. That's the only way we can find true satisfaction in this world. The process for choosing joy is to all of us, no matter what we're going through this season. Whether you're happy and excited about the season, or you're, you're buried in shame or pain or guilt or hurt, no matter what you're going through, no matter how happy or joyful you are right now, all times in our life where we lose our joy. And that's where the re comes in. We have to choose to return to a place of joy. We have to choose to return to Jesus every single day. He is the source of our strength. He 
is the source of our joy. He is the one to refill our tanks, to restore us and restore our strength. We have to reconnect with our Savior every single day. And James tells us how to do it. In James chapter 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect, uh, have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The last thing you want to hear when you're hurting is, hey man, just be happy about it. Just be joyful. You know, when you're in pain and someone says, you know, God says, be ha- just smile through it and be joyful, you want to punch them in the face and say, hey, be joyful in that broken nose I just gave you, right? You don't want to hear that. Joy seems far away when you're grieving. Seems far away when you're hurting, when you're scared, when you're depressed, when you're anxious. James isn't saying be happy about pain. He's saying there is joy in your pain. We have to see the bigger picture of what we're going through. See God working in every situation. The bigger picture of pain is that no matter what you're going through this morning, Jesus is your source of joy. David shows us this in Psalms 30, 13. David begins by saying, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou forget from me? But he ends in verse 4 by saying, But I trust in thy mercy, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. David starts with saying, God, why have you left me? God, I need you and you're nowhere to be found. God, I'm trying to find you. I'm trying to walk with you, but you've left me and you've abandoned me. But he ends by saying, but God, no matter what I go through, I'm going to trust you. No matter what I'm going through, I'm going to rejoice in you because you're my salvation. The Psalms are honest. Psalms are raw as the writer pours out his feelings to God in prayer. But they always transition remembering and reminding us much God loves us. How much God has done for us. And they focus on God. And while we focus on God, we choose to rejoice. We choose to find strength from God. That's how we choose true joy. That's how we celebrate this season and turn to Christ. He came to save us. He came to die in our place. He us with to God the Father, but He also came to facing this morning. No matter what you're facing this year, embrace joy. Choose joy. Don't look for joy in the trappings of the season, the traditions that we that are around us. Look for joy. Find joy in the true source, a relationship with Jesus and what He's done. Choose to rejoice that He came for you. That He, that he rose again. Coming again. Rejoice in the fact that He's coming to fix all things again. We have joy because the Savior has come and He's coming again. Right. Heavenly Father, Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.